Acts 28, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Dan Bailey. Have you ever ended up in a place you never wanted to be? The first service was like, yeah, oh yeah, this service, maybe not so bad. The, f- the first time I can remember ending up in a place I didn't want to be was when my family moved from uh, New Jersey to Maryland when I was, uh, during my 10th grade year of high school. We had been, I had been living in New Jersey with my family since second grade. And so I had formed friendships and gotten involved in all the things that you do. And these were my classmates there. So when 10th, when sixth grade came about, I developed this passion for basketball. I went to a camp and just kind of drank all the Kool-Aid about you'll be a professional player if you practice six hours and all the things that they tell you. I was just so enthused with basketball. I didn't understand genetics very well back then, but I, but I, was, I was a believer at the time, you know, uh, and, and prayed for height, prayed for all those things. God had other plans. But I was passionate about it. I thought everybody should love basketball. My world was about this big, you know, this small little world. And I, I influenced my friends and my classmates to really practice. They were the ones that liked sports, to really hone in on basketball. And I would schedule practices for us. Even in seventh grade, eighth grade, we had organized practices. My, our house, my dad as a pastor, we had a parsonage we lived in. And to get to the community pool, you had to go past our house. And I can remember after scheduling a practice, you know, friends sometimes trying to sneak by my house on their bikes with their towels around their neck to go to the pool. And I would be chasing them down the street. Uh, I, and I, to one guy, I said, it's too hot. I'm not going to practice today. I, I retorted, when you rest, you rust. So I, I was coaching early on. I don't even know where that came from. I, I think it was a, something I heard at a camp. By the time we got to high school, our freshman year, we ran the table. We didn't lose a game. And this is at a high school that was not known for the sports. We used to go watch the high school players play when we were younger, and they just got trounced by schools like Roselle, Linden, Hillside, all these bigger and better schools. And by the time we got there, we were pretty good. And when we entered our 10th grade year, the buzz around the school was really uh, growing. And we were the hope of a state title for the school. People were saying, man, when they, a couple more years, we're going to get this. And then one September evening, just sitting at home in my bedroom, my door flung open. There was my dad. My dad never knocked, so the door just opened. And he said, son, we're moving to Maryland in three months. You've had a great chapter here in New Jersey. There's another one to write in Maryland. I'll see you at dinner in 10 minutes. Door closed. Exit dad. AKA the velvet brick had this ability to deliver, to deliver really hard news in such a way you're like, I guess I'm moving to Maryland. He was a preacher too, so it came across like a three-point sermon, like really succinct though. <laughs> Tim would have been so happy because it was short. Tim's always trying to get the preachers to shorten it up. He's like, could be a little shorter, mate, you know? That's that's Tim's role. <laughs> But I was devastated in that moment, not just because the change of a move, but the, the timing of it would have made it impossible for me to play basketball in New Jersey because I would have had to leave. And I would be too late to join up for a team in Maryland. And this was troubling to me. My dad, seeing my pain, 
made arrangements with a pastor he knew in Maryland, living in the same town we were moving to, and arranged for me to live there. So I moved ahead of my family two months early to a strange town and to live with a family I didn't know. A 15-year-old kid, shy, scared, but very passionate about basketball, so willing to do it. And that first night, I remember the door to my bedroom closing, you know, and I'd try, you know, when you have to be strong, you can be resilient for a while, and then that door closed, and it was just me, and those tears started coming down. I felt so lost, and I remember just thinking to myself, how in the world did I end up here? Our text today talks a little bit about this. As you know, Paul has been on this missionary journey and he's been heading to Rome as a prisoner and he's in a shipwreck. He ends up on the island of Malta and if you recall, he had been at sea with the others for about 14 perilous nights in hurricane-like winds and conditions. So not an easy ride. But Paul had this promise within him because he knew God had said, you're going to make it to Rome and you're going to testify to Caesar. So he had this inner confidence, even though the conditions were very, very difficult and troubling. And if you recall, he also was the one who encouraged the people on the ship to eat food when they despaired of life. They were giving up. And when a few of the crew members decided they were going to make a run for it, take the lifeboat and escape, he said, bad idea. The only way you won't perish is if you all stay together here in the boat. So Paul had this unusual authority. And sometimes when people are really desperate, when they're out of options, because they tried everything to try to right the ship and to just ride out the storm, but it wasn't possible. So at some point they just said, well, this something different about Paul. He has this confidence that we don't understand it. We don't believe what he believes, but we might as well try and listen to what he has to say because maybe God will honor him and we'll ride the coattails of Paul to safety. So as they got closer to land because they were measuring the depth of the water and it got more shallow and more shallow, they knew they were approaching a bay. They didn't know where they were, but they knew there was a bay in sight. And they came to this point of decision, which sometimes we all come to in life, when they had to choose between trying to stay in the boat, ride out the weather and hope for better time, and get to the place that this boat was to take them, get them to their destiny, or cut the ties let the ship wreck and hope for the best, get to shore, at least survive. And so they cut the anchors and they decided to let that boat go and let the winds and waves take the boat wherever it may, closer to shore, knowing it would run into the ground, run into the rocks. And then we have some by swimming, the strong swimmers, others hanging on to wood, planks of wood, All 276 people make it to shore safely. And this is where our story picks up today in Acts chapter 28. You've had these people and Paul all after suffering and surviving this incredible turbulent voyage. They're finally on land. The winds maybe are subsiding a little bit, but it's still cloudy. It's still rainy. They're cold. They're wet. They're hungry. They're dazed and confused. They're alive. But they're asking themselves in this surreal moment, where do we go from here? Our text today 
shares a little bit about how we can do that. And our story picks up as Luke is with Paul and uh, narrating this really, uh, in 10 verses, packs a lot of facts right in here for us. So he's just stating the things that happened. And we pick up in verse uh, 1 of chapter 28. Once safely on shore, I should back up just one minute because Malta... To describe Malta, Malta is an island. It's a place they didn't want to be. But it's important to understand, even as we read this, um, Malta, Malta is also a metaphor for life. So let's read in, in Acts uh, chapter 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it in the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice was not has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Then there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. What do you do when you're headed for Rome and you end up in Malta? Malta is the place you never wanted to be. It's, the, it's still being single long after you thought you'd be married or mourning a miscarriage after the joy of a positive pregnancy test it's unexpected unemployment or a failed business or a rejection letter for a job or for a school that you thought you'd get in. It's the bench when you thought you'd be a starter, the promotion you never got because you were looked over. It's the love of your life, unwilling or perhaps unable to reciprocate. It's the dreams you had for your child that were dashed by life's cruel mysteries. It's the broken marriage or the job you took, not because you wanted to, but because you knew you had to. It's cancer. It's the place of waiting, still waiting, always waiting, even though you thought the promise would be fulfilled long ago. For Paul, Malta was the place he ended up because of the poor decisions of others. Whatever the flavor, whatever the reasons behind it, Malta is a place you never wanted to be. Maybe you're on the island of Malta right now. Maybe you recently survived a storm, but now on the other side of it, in the aftermath, you have no idea how you're gonna go forward. New beginnings can be frightening. Maybe you see yourself headed for the rocks right now. You, you've done everything you can to keep your plans intact, to save what you believed in, but you're recognizing there's nothing left to do but cut the anchor of what you hope for and trust for the best outcome possible. Wherever you are in this story, God's word to you today is this. When life takes you to a place you never wanted to be, 
You're in the perfect position to experience the power of God in the presence of your weakness. When life takes you to a place you never wanted to be, you're in the perfect position to experience the power of God in the presence of your weakness. Our text pulls out four insights, powerful insights that can help us navigate when we find ourselves on the island of Malta, what to do, how to process it, how to move forward. And the first thing we see here is this, when life puts you in a place you never wanted to be, recognize God in the kindness of others. Have you ever seen God in the face of another person? Imagine Paul, we think of him as a superhero, but 14 days at sea, I don't think there was much sleep. I don't think there was a lot of food. They had tossed their grain over at some point. It's cold, it's rainy. He had a plan for Rome that now has been dashed. He knew the promise of God and he had seen the protection of God, but he's in this beleaguered state of mind. And here from these islanders who by all rights, would be probably look at this normally as a threat. God puts kindness within them. The scripture says here in verse 2 that they showed him unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. God is close to the broken heart. I want you to know that he knows. He knows when you're on Malta. He sees. He cares. He's acquainted with grief because he himself bore our sorrows, entered into the human struggle, became a man, fully God, releasing his power so he could walk and live like us, taking on human form so he can sympathize. Aren't you glad you have an advocate today that understands your weakness? He understands the place you're in. Malta tends to make us feel like we have been forgotten and left for no good. And God's grace, we say, is sufficient for times of weakness. And there's this sweet fellowship that we experience in suffering. God reaches to us through the care of others. This is one of the ways he does it. I lived in Milford, Connecticut. It was my Malta for a period of time. It was not because of Milford. It's a great place. But I had just come through a turbulent time in my life. Surviving a storm... Uh, and not sure what to do next. I'd been through a lot, and there's really too much to tell, so that's for a sermon for another day. And this is about 10 years ago, just to give you a timeline. And after my business had ended, and I wasn't sure what was next, and I was sort of devastated by things that had happened in life, some of the things that I had contributed to happening in my life. So there was also the degree of shame and regret and all of those things that play into that. But my brother was a pastor in Connecticut, and he lived in a parsonage, and next to him there was this beautiful Victorian house, a farmhouse, just, just gorgeous, and it was actually moved there because it was going to be destroyed to build a, a, a nursing facility, and he had them move it onto his property. That's a whole amazing story of how God did that. But it was designed to be a place of restoration for pastors and ministers and people have just need respite from life. How many know that ministry can be tough and lonely and can take a toll? I'm so thankful for Pastor Peter and this church has a culture of self-care. They make it a priority and I see the care from other people. 
My brother didn't always understand that. He was an old school kind of guy and, and trenched on. So I moved into that place. Uh, it was the, for pastors and missionaries. I was neither, but I was brother to the pastor. So I had a little privilege. I had to pay for it, but that's where I landed. Beautiful place and time of healing in my life. But you know what was, spoke to me the loudest? It really rekindled my connection with God because my kids were now out and I was um, now in a time of silence because business and my life had just slowed down for this moment was his children. My brother had seven kids, all different ages, and they just adored me and they didn't care about anything that ever happened in my life. I was just their hero. And I saw in their faces the innocence and found myself saying, this, this is how God wants it to be. This, we received the kingdom of God as a child. And through these faces, I was able to reconnect in a powerful way with God. And there was a lot of time involved. And my brother would say to me, after a couple years of living there, he goes, we're not saving you. You're, you. I mean, you're saving me. And I couldn't understand that, but my brother was so beat up by some of the difficulties in his own life of just being a pastor but he kept thanking me. And here, unbeknownst to me, God had sent me there also to minister to my brother who needed somebody that wasn't a part of the church or another pastor just to know him and love him for who he was and to make him laugh and to watch the Celtics beat the Knicks and all those kind of things. I just lost the crowd, Pastor Peter. I'm going to make a note for future sermons, things not to say. And he said, not only me, but my kids need you. I'm so busy. And I formed this bond. I became a second dad to these kids. Little did I know or understand that several years later, he would pass away on a Sunday preparing for service. And because of the strength of those relationships formed in the years, I was now living in Nyack and been there for four years in Nyack, and the strength of those relationships with his children allowed me to minister and lead in in a way I never could have had I never had that season in Milford, Connecticut, in Malta, Amen. where God was pouring into me and unbeknownst to me, he was using me in connection. And the place in the church that was so instrumental in restoring my life when I was really broken is the same church that called me back as their pastor had passed away and asked me to step into the pulpit to fill. Who, who scripts that except God? Because he sees and he knows and he understands when you're on Malta, you're not left alone. It's not for naught that God is present there and we can experience God in a powerful way. We experience God through the care of one another. Secondly, when life puts you in a place you never wanted to be, Shake off the lies that don't define you. Read verses, uh, in verses three through five, here's Paul, after just surviving a shipwreck, in verse three it says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it in the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. I don't know if you've ever been bitten by a snake. I hope not. I'm afraid of snakes, so it's never happened to me. I never want it to happen, but I, I'll bet if you're like me, you understand what it's like to feel 
snake bitten. Snake bitten is a phrase when basically means when you can't catch a break. When it's just piling on. I mean, here's Paul after suffering a shipwreck and all the things we've been following his journey through Acts and the beatings and the imprisonments and the false accusations, just struggle, even betrayal or conflict with people that loved him and that he was working with. Here he is now surviving the shipwreck and he's warming himself at the fire, thankful for God and these people and their faces and a, a viper comes out and bites him, the poisonous one at that. The enemy knows when we're most vulnerable. He knows when we're weak. Paul was tired, hungry. There would have been great opportunity to accept what happened to him as, man, I am just a snake-bitten human being, both literally and figuratively. Like, I can't catch a break. This is probably not going to happen. Instead, he hangs on to this promise. He shakes off the snake. But the enemy understands the places when we're weak, when we're tired, when we've been beat up. And when we're on that island of Malta, we're at a very vulnerable place to be in our lives. He's been serving up lies since the Garden of Eden. That's what he does. He's the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren. But I want you to know today that he has no claim on you. If you know Jesus Christ and you've been brought into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He has no claim. He will bark, he will suggest, he will roar, he will be sly like a serpent is and look for opportunity or places of weakness, but he has no claim Amen. on you. Amen. Jesus took care of that. He has, scripture says, he transferred us. When you came to faith, he transferred you from the dominion of darkness that used to govern your life and brought you into the kingdom of his son. You've been traded to a new team. When you put your faith in Jesus, it's team Jesus, and you are brought into him and into his righteousness and his life, his protection, what he says about you, that you're a son and a daughter. And even the accusations of the, the others when he didn't, uh, when he was bitten. Have you ever had people pile on in that way when they see the mess in your life and say, man, God must be really out to get you. Job, curse God and die. That was the advice of his friends. Satan will suggest and look for to create suspicion and for us to consider that God maybe isn't good. Maybe he's forgotten. Circus elephants or elephants when they're captured in the wild and brought in for training or in the circus that's a big undertaking because these are powerful animals and they know exactly what they're capable of doing. So in order to create a psychological poverty within them, they have to break them. And they'll first use a big pole and a giant and chains uh, to keep it from getting loose. So as hard as the elephant will struggle to get free, it can't. And after a while, it stops pulling with the same veracity. It's just kind of you know, you know kind of like when I go to the refrigerator, it's, I, it's bare. I open up, there's nothing in there but two eggs and a slice of cheese that would be a dangerous decision to make. But, and I'll sit back down and then I'll, 10 minutes later, I'll look at it again in case something appeared. Maybe I missed something. This usually happens three or four times. So I finally realize there's nothing in this refrigerator. I'm going to have to go looking for food. But there's a psychological part in with this elephant after... It tries to get free. The next, when they see it getting demoralized, they'll put a smaller 
pole in the ground with a weaker chain because it's never going back to pull the same strength. It's still in its mind feels stuck. And eventually they can just lay down a tiny stake in any kind of chain and it doesn't even try. It, it represents that it's powerless. But I want you to know that Jesus has broken all the chains. He has demolished the strongholds in your life. The enemy has no claim. It's all his trash talk. It's all his game. But as Paul did, there's a response we need to take. And it's, it's not a passive response. When Paul was bitten, as if you would be bitten by a real snake, there probably wouldn't be much negotiation. You would be shaking the thing off and getting rid of it right away. And this is the approach we need to have when we are served up these lies, these suggestions by the enemy that come to us in our vulnerable moments. But we need to be vigilant about it and shake it off. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You don't have to own every thought that comes into your mind. Because lots of different thoughts are coming in. A boss's criticism to you because of a wound or a vulnerability that you're feeling at a certain time may translate to the, who's ratting on me? Who's talking about me? How do you get that opinion? That's not true. And all of a sudden you're down a rabbit trail that you never needed to go when there was something helpful that maybe came from even the heart of God. But the enemy will try to twist and take its what Eve did, she got into a negotiation. Is God, did God really say that, that you couldn't eat from that tree? You know what Eve said in response? Yeah, and not even to touch it. She took it further. The lie was getting in. She negotiated. There are some things we can't negotiate with. It's okay to process pain, struggle, to go deeper, to get counseling. But when it comes to lies about your identity, you have to be vigilant and shake off those things that no longer define you and speak the truth of your life. You know, when Jesus left the water, came out of the waters of baptism, the father spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, affirming his identity, reminding him who he is. But then he goes into the wilderness to fast and to pray before he starts out on his journey. And he's not eating, he's alone, and he's in the woods. And every temptation of the enemy began with, if you are the son of God, dot, dot, dot. And this same accusation is going to come to you. If you are a Christian, then why is your life such a mess? Why aren't you better off? Why are you still feeling lonely, depressed, or sad? I know you failed the other day. I saw you. You betrayed God. Are you sure God's remembering you? Look at your life. Why did he let that happen to you? These are the lies that get served up to us that always will attack our perception or understanding of God. And when that gets skewed, we lose a sense of who we are because he's our creator. Here's the truth. We've been claimed twice. Listen to what Paul says here. He says this to the church in Rome. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's the truth about you, that you are a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ. 
You've been claimed twice. He imagined you. He fashioned you. He created you uniquely who you are. And then in your brokenness, in the separation, in the disconnect because of sin and the, and the entry of Satan into this world, he has stepped in to your defense and reclaimed you and redeemed you. And he's brought you into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's our real. That's our reality in Jesus Christ. Shake off the lies. When you're in that place of Malta, so key, so critical that we're vigilant. We shake off the lies that no longer define us. Thirdly, when you're in a place you never wanted to be, embrace weakness as opportunity for God. Verse 6 says this, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they claimed, they changed their minds and said he was a god. This is the fickleness of the world. So you guys, in the, you know, you're going to get some cheers, but they turn on you really quick, right? So here's Paul being accused of being a murderer, an identity attack. He says they were partially true, right? He did murder in the past. They didn't know that. But he wasn't a murderer. He was a child of God. His identity had been changed. But then all of a sudden, when they saw that he was able to overcome a viper, they hadn't seen that before. He became a god. People will watch and see how you handle success, no question. And they'll see if it changes you. It's a chance or an opportunity when you have success to be to be a signpost to God, as John the Baptist said, I'm not the light, I testify to the one who is the light. But I'll tell you what, people will notice even more how you handle failure and weakness. Behind all the pictures on Facebook is a world familiar with pain and struggle and heartache and loss. There's a Japanese art form called Kintsugi. And in this art form, it takes pottery, or ceramics, or um, any kind of broken vases, and it puts it back together, glues it back together, but then it lines those cracks, those places where there's fracture with liquid gold or powdered gold. And so the idea that is that what was of great value when it was whole before any fractures becomes even of greater value after it's broken because of the gold that lines the, the fractures and the brokenness of that pottery. Paul says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that this all-surpassing power will be known that it comes from God, not from us. He's saying to us to step out into your brokenness, to not hide in the shadows because you're not the example you thought you should be. God says, step into it, let your life and all that it entails become the backdrop for my glory. Let me be the one who enters your story, where you are, and show myself to be strong. Because what people need to know is they have a redeemer that lives. Paul's brokenness was the backdrop. He had nothing to offer. He had no reputation on that island. But he knew something about God. And even in a snake-bitten state, he says, Lord, I'm yours, and God takes him. He embraces the weakness, and God gives him this, not street cred, but village cred or island cred or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, and puts him in a position to do something amazing, God working through him. Embrace weakness as opportunity for God. Lastly, 
when you find yourself in a place you never wanted to be, walk in your purpose where you are. Be faithful to where you are. In verse 7, we read, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we need. Paul didn't put his calling on the shelf because he wasn't where he expected to be or preferred to be. He was dead set on getting to Rome. From Rome was like the internet explosion. It was the place where everything could go. All roads lead to Rome. And it was a place where the gospel could advance. And that's what he cared about. But here he is on Malta. He gets promoted because of this healing or because he didn't fall sick under the protection of God with the snake. And now he's in the man of the island's house, a Roman official, by the way, because it was occupied by Rome. And he's in this home enjoying the fruits of a mansion, a bed, and good meals, and all that comes with that, but he notices the man's father is sick and dying. And Paul does what he does because it's the calling that's upon his life, and it's the calling upon our lives as conduits of God's blessing to others. He prays for this man, and then he heals this man, and a three-month healing ministry ensues because Paul was willing to walk in his purpose before the manifestation of his promise. Don't dismiss where you are right now. There are opportunities disguised as impossibilities all around us. And if you're paying attention and, and if you're willing to be courageous about walking in your purpose and not minimizing it, not making it about you either, not trying to force down doors so everybody can see your gifts, but in tune with God and how he's made you, how he can use you, even your brokenness as we know it's opportunity for God, where you are today, Zechariah 4.10 says this, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Isn't that beautiful? That God sees the end, but he loves when you are willing to start where you are and begin that work. With us today is Jason Wallace. He's one of uh, former players. So behind these tall guys are some other somewhat tall guys too, but they're former guys. They just don't have the same juice as the younger guys anymore, but they'll talk all about it. If, you, if, you, if you'll be willing to listen, they will tell you stories. But Jason, uh, Jason, you can just wave. There you go. Okay. Jason's the one with the nice yellow tie. We had a protocol when we traveled, you had to wear a tie. And I think he's having a flashback moment because he dressed up better than anyone else today. But Jason had a love for music. And when he was in college, he, he began to dabble in a different musical genres and rap was one of them. And as he began to do it, you know, some of the guys in the team were like, oh, Jay's got some skills. We ran a basketball camp that was targeting New York City kids. We ran a, a camp that never turned anyone away for lack of money. And we drew from the Bronx primarily, but all over the city and the boroughs. And so on the last night, we always had this open mic. And so we'd let the kids come up, our counselors, uh, 
You know, I did things every now and then that I won't talk about. Yeah. But I encourage Jason to use his gift in front of this crowd. Now, this is no, I mean, you have to be courageous to try something new, but when you're going to, for the first time, do it in front of kids from New York City and it's rap and they're from the Bronx, the birthplace of rap, you better come correct because it will either make your career or blow you up. It is the Apollo times two. These kids were ruthless. They had me talking to myself after camp. Like, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> they're just rough. Jason swallowed hard and he said, all right, I'm going to do it. And he, he just killed it. These kids loved it. And a, and a seed was planted and he fanned that into flame and he began to use that gift more and more and ran with it while he was in college. And by the time he graduated, because he's from Ohio, so he left to go back to Ohio with a little bit of New York flavor. <laughs> and a 12-year ministry ensued. Where he was able to minister, you know, nonstop weekends and, and sharing his faith through music and bringing so many people to faith. But not only that, launching so many other people that had gifts in that same area of arts, musical talents and launching them that are serving today. You often wonder when we that moment just seems so minute. It was almost like a challenge, you know, a tease. Why don't you try your skill in front of these kids? You know, and some were look, showed up on the player's side to see a car wreck. You know how people do when there's a crash? Like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> and yet, here's God in that moment planting a seed because while he was on Malta, God already saw what was going to happen later on when he returned to the Midwest. Because Paul walked in his purpose on Malta, he was given provision for the journey to Rome. The same people that maligned him supplied him with everything he needed. Rome was going to happen, but there was a time for it. A boat was there. Supplies were had. Never would have been any supplies for him had he not taken those steps of faith to walk in his purpose while he was there. From Rome... The gospel advances. And I'm sure he went there. And I know Pastor Peter next week is going to wrap this up. So I'm excited already to get not to the end of it because we're done with it. Because now it's a crescendo. But we see that he must have gone to Rome with a little bit of a reputation. That official's father was healed. The crew was saved. I'm sure it led to some privileges that allowed him to write the letters that he wrote that we read today. There may be things God's asking Metro to do as we incarnate here in this, this city. And he's saying, you know what? I got plans. I know what I'm going to do, but are you walking in your purpose today? And I think that's the more I'm looking at this thing as someone who's supposed to be about strategy and all those things in my role, that God already has those things in place, but there is something about being faithful right now, right where we are. So when I reflect on those days in Maryland, when I was, thought I was on the island of Malta, I realize now that I was in the perfect position to experience the power of God in the presence of my weakness as a 15-year-old kid. The first person I met when I went to school in my new place was a guy who had also just moved in the same month. His name's Joe Miller. Played on the basketball team or was going to play. He was tall, blocked my shot a lot. He was tall, he was smart, super smart, and he was an atheist. I was short, not as smart, 
and a Christian. He tutored me in science. I shared my faith with him. By the time he was a senior, he had become a Christian. We both went to Nyack College together and played four years there. He got married during college and him and his wife went on to earn doctorate degrees and have since opened up free health clinics in different cities throughout the United States and now in South Africa. And as for that pastor that I lived with that probably reluctantly took me in because my dad was his boss, he became my biggest cheerleader all through high school. And years later, he became the dean of students at Nyack College. And when a 27-year-old guy was looking to break into the coaching ranks and had worked for free as an assistant coach for a few years, guess who the person in charge of making that decision when Nyack College had a vacancy was? It was the same man. When I thought I was forgotten on the island of Malta as a young kid, I was fully in the mind of God. And I want you to know today that you are fully in the mind of God. He hasn't forgotten. He's with you in the moment. And he's asking you today if you'll trust him. If you'll recognize, recognize me in the face of other people that I'm sending to you. I know what you need. I know where you are. And I'm sending you my love through people. Shake off those things that no longer define you because you belong to me and I can prove it with my scars. And let your weakness become evident to all as Paul did boast in it because it's there you give me the most opportunity to let people know I'm alive and well and I can be their redeemer too. And when you walk in your purpose where you are today, while you're waiting, will you walk in your purpose today? The supplies will come, the day will come when I'm going to move you, but today I have something glorious I wanna do that you cannot see, but if you will be faithful where you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and pray that it would live within us it wouldn't just dismiss from us, but your word would live, that you'd help us to understand where it intersects in our lives, that we'd be honest with you and seek you in these times. Wherever we are today, so many different situations in this room, but we are the body of Christ and we are before you saying you are a good father. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness and we wanna trust you and go deeper with you. Will you bless Metro Church? Will you infuse us, Lord, with the holy vision? Will you help the pastoral staff to grow, God, into this vision even more? More importantly, into the depths of your love for them. And all of the leaders and lay leaders and those, Lord, right now on the fringes are saying, this is what God has. I belong because I've been made for this, that they would choose in. God, we're looking to you because this is your church. It's your work. But we put ourselves as your feet, as Paul did, with empty hands, with nothing to offer, with no reputation to speak of, not exactly where we thought in so many places of our life. In some area, each of us are on an island of Malta in some way, shape, or form. But we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, who does all things well in his time, who makes crooked places straight, rough patches smooth.
who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and whose ways are perfect. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have your uh, communication card, I'd like you to look at the next steps or open your app, if you would. And there's a, a few next steps, as Pastor Peter said, really steps of obedience that we can take. Um, in response, when, when God has spoken, then the ball's in our court, so to speak, right? If you've received Christ as your Savior today or recently, would you check that box? When the offering comes in a minute, we're going to put these cards in there, but would you just check that box to let us know so we can encourage you, we can know how to get around you. We don't want to harass you or bother you. We want to help you as a person in the same journey that we're in. So let us know so we can be blessed and, and learn to, to, to enter into your journey with you. And would you be willing, some of you maybe, it's just, you need to begin with a real heart to heart with God. Would you pray your fears and your tears as David did so often in the Psalms? Pray him to God and embrace his presence more intentionally this week, maybe than you have in the past. I know that wasn't really a sermon point, but it really begins to accept that Malta is what it is. Sometimes we just deny these things and try to be such great Christians that we're going to, you know, gut it out. We're going to make it through. And Jesus even sweat those, uh, cried drops of blood. The sweat was coming off him as blood. He felt the pain and, and, and we do too. So would you take that to God first and then look for him. Look for him in the face of others and be vigilant about the lies and walk in your weakness. Walk in your purpose. If you will walk in, as you walk in your purpose and choose to do so, if you've been challenged where you are now, um, would you do so by considering how to serve in this church? When you're serving the church, it's not the serving like the club. It's serving so that we can reach, so we can expand our reach, so we can go deeper in transformation one with another. And our transformation as it goes deep, that it would go wider and the gospel would expand throughout Inglewood and beyond. But God has something he's given to you to do. So not out of guilt, not because you need to check a box, but if there's a place or that God is putting on your heart where you can serve, that you know God's called you to, don't wait. He can use you in your weakness. Just come and see what God will do. See the miracle that he will do when you courageously take that step. And if you're interested in learning more about Metro, you're relatively new here, or maybe you've never really dived in, as Pastor Peter talked about transformation, a Connections Dinner is a way you can really get underneath the hood, understand the core values and what really drives this church, how it came in its inception and what God's doing today. I'd encourage you to sign up for the November 17 Connection Dinner. And lastly, the book of Acts has been such an amazing journey. I have loved every message and just soaked it all in. It's almost sad it's coming to an end. Uh, but would you read that the remainder of Acts and just be prepared for this kind of grand finale of what God has been doing through Paul in his life and how that informs us today.